Genesis chapter 7. We're making our way through this book on Sunday mornings. In the pre-flood world, there was a breakdown in the home. The sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took them wives, all of which they chose. They made fleshly decisions over seeking for God's will. And when decisions are made in the flesh, expect fleshly results. Galatians 6, 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And sure enough, the breakdown of the home led to the breakdown of society. And the earth became corrupt and filled with violence. And when we read chapter 6, I know we're in 7, but as we went through chapter 6, you can see America, I would think, in that chapter. We are witnessing this in our day. There has been a breakdown of the home. There's a breakdown in society. I don't know if you keep up with the news. I don't blame you if you don't. It's rather depressing. But there's violence everywhere. Corruption everywhere. And the same thing is happening today. And we've, we can point, we, we can draw it all back, I believe, to the breakdown in the home. But that's, I've already preached all that. As a result of the corruption and violence, we're now at the place in our text where God has decided enough's enough. He's going to destroy the earth and cleanse it with a flood. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a man who sought after God when the rest of the world wanted nothing to do with God. He walked with God in an ungodly world. And God told Noah, build an ark for the saving of your family. And that was also to preserve all the animal kingdom, the air-breathing animal kingdom alive. Noah obeyed God completely. And God said He would now establish His covenant with Noah to bring the promised seed of Christ into the world. Last week we considered from verse 1 how impactful our walk with God can be for the next generation. How important it is for our walk with God as parents for our children. Come on, amen. It's important. And, and it, it can make a difference. And we understand that child can grow up and be a rebel all they want, but we ought to have a clear conscience that we did what we ought to have done to raise them for the Lord. And so we can have an impact. Noah here, he's the one that's walking with God, and yet his children are getting on the ark. Hey, man! He prepared an ark for the saving of his family, and what we ought to do is be preparing arks for the saving of our family. You say, who's the ark? It's Jesus Christ. How do you prepare them for that? You keep pointing them to the Lord. You keep leading them to Christ. You keep giving them Scripture. You say, it just don't seem like they're getting it. It just doesn't seem like it's sinking in. It doesn't matter. You just keep giving it, and you keep giving it, and you keep giving it. And I promise you one day it's going to hit them in the head and realize, I should have listened to mom and dad. Boy, I feel like preaching right there. Noah's family experienced God's blessing because Noah was blessed by God. We also consider from verse 1 how sad it is that out of all of humanity, only eight souls are going to be on the ark. All the rest have rejected God. The judgment of God is going to fall upon them. And so I asked you last week, are you missing from verse 1? Would you be in that group of people that did not make it on the ark? If you're missing from verse 1, you need to seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. The day's coming when it'll be too late. When we draw our last breath or the Lord returns, that's it. 
And that's where we're at now in this account. God says to Noah in verse 1, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And God's judgment's on the way, and once God closes the door to the ark, that's it. It's too late for all that are on the outside. Now, we spent most of our time in verse 1 last week. I kind of sort of covered verses 1 through 16 when I began the message by talking about the animals. And I mentioned because of how this chapter flows, we'll be bouncing around a little bit because some things are repeated. And so, again, I just ask you to to bear with me. I hope it's not coming across too disjointed. We read the whole chapter last week, but let's just jump right in this morning by reading verses 1 through 4 of Genesis chapter 7. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So I just want to make a quick observation here once again about the animal kingdom. Um, God states every living substance is going to die. He says, everything that I've made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. Um, Now living substance here doesn't refer to the plant life, but it's referring to the animals and and the humans. And so um, we see in verses 21 through 23 in this chapter. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. Am I missing a verse here? Yeah. Um, Verse 23, And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things and the fowl of the heaven And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. So I mentioned this while in chapter 3, but we see again how uh, the sin of humanity affects nature. It affects the animal kingdom. It affects creation. Our sin as human beings affects everything on this planet. Um, We saw in chapter 3 how when sin entered the world, God cursed the ground. There was thorns and thistles, and now it was going to be laborious to, to till the field and all these things. And so um, our sin cursed, caused the ground to be cursed, and we know the serpent's cursed. It goes upon its belly, eats dust, amen. Don't feel sorry for that rascal. <laughs> I don't want them in my house. All right, anyway, uh, some of you have pet snake. I don't understand that, amen. Where am I at? See, I get distracted. All right. So we see how the sin of mankind leads to the... Uh, destruction of all life on land here in Genesis chapter 7. Understand, God created everything perfect. There's a lot of questions people have, and they're fine questions, but it's, it's just some ignorance there. Why is, why, why is there cancer? Why is there death? Why is there suffering? What? Because we sinned. That's not how God created it. God made everything perfect. There was no curse. Therefore, there was no death. We could still be talking with Adam right now. 6,000 years old, looking like he's 20. Like me. I mean, he... Um, And so God made everything perfect, but with sin came a curse, and part of that curse is death. We're all terminal. We're all dying today. And 
it's because of the, of the curse. We're all sinners. And because of our sin, the animal kingdom is now cursed. And now they don't behave as they were created either. Isn't that a thought? Romans 8.22 tells us, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. In verse 21 of Romans 8, Paul calls it the bondage of corruption. What's happened to the earth? It's corrupt. There's now a food chain in the animal kingdom. Yes, I'm thinking about... Anyway, I'm not going to go there. There's predators and prey. Okay, now I have to. Zootopia, okay. Um, (laughs) Though beautiful, the animal kingdom is shrouded with death. But this isn't how it was in the beginning. Paul explains that we groan within ourselves. We, We groan within ourselves because we're waiting for the redemption of the body. As you get older, that verse becomes more real to you. Amen. We're, we're waiting for the redemption of the body when we no longer have to wear compression socks and take blood thinners and get blood clots. <laughs> okay, this is just for me. Just, just smile and say amen. We're, we're waiting for the redemption of the body when we're no longer under this curse. And, and there's a day when the animal kingdom is going to be delivered from that curse as well. What a thought. Isaiah 11, 6-9, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. That's not happening today because there's a curse. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. That would be a goat. (laughs) The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you can also see Isaiah 65, 25 to get the same thought. So why do I bring this up? Because our world has gone crazy. (laughs) Our world has gone crazy. Uh, People are worshiping creation more than the Creator. There's all this talk about how we need to try to fix everything. If, we, if we'll do this, if we'll drive that, if we'll ban that, we, we can fix all of the world's problems. But it's all without the recognition that it was our sin that's affected the animal kingdom, the climate. Or I, I didn't even want to say that word. I'm going to get fired up. Listen, uh, all right, i got to focus. We're being told that pestilences, droughts, and, 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 and all these things that the Bible talks about are, are judgments by God. Pestilences, droughts. Famines, earthquakes, severe It's all judgment from God. That's what the Bible says. And yet we're being told that if we'll sacrifice our freedoms on the altar of climate change, somehow we're going to get it all fixed. It doesn't work that way. It is because we have departed from God. You think the third world country gives a rip about climate change? They're scouring through the trash trying to find their next meal. This is just what the rich countries do. we got to find something to gripe about. Well, I feel like preaching. Let me just get on a hobby horse here real quick. Amen. We've got this nut Al Gore out there telling us back in 2006, in 10 years, the world's going to be over. Or we're going to be past the point of no return because the oceans are going to rise. You know what he did during that time? Bought an $8 million home on an oceanfront property in California. Hello. Is that hypocritical or what? And then you got the John Kerry's of the world flying around in their personal jet all over to these meetings, and yet their carbon footprint's so huge, but we got to save the planet. Yeah. 
And so he's asked, how come you're driving your personal jet? Because that's how people like me have to do it. Oh, well, that's convenient. All right, this isn't even in my notes. Listen, it's insanity what's going on in the world today. Yeah, we should be good stewards. But good grief. Did you see Minnesota's wanting to ban gas-powered lawnmowers? Yeah. Because when you crank that thing, you're warming the planet up. And yet the planet, the climate hasn't changed. All right. Say, <clears throat> so how do you know that? I was in weather for 21 years. I'll take that argument any day. Now, I'm just saying we need to recognize that sin is the root problem. What does the Bible say? Second Chronicles 7.14, we sing it almost every Sunday night. If my people, which are called by my name, God's people, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. What does the last line say? And will heal their land. It's a judgment from God. It is. It's not because I'm driving an SUV. Anything that can quote-unquote be fixed in creation can only be done by turning to the Creator. He's the only one that can heal the land because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So there needs to be a recognition that it is our sinfulness which has caused the problems we see today, and that's why it'll never be recognized that way. Because just as soon as the politicians, who apparently know more about weather than the meteorologist, okay, um, as soon as they recognize that this is a sin problem, that means there must be sinners... There must be a Savior, and who's going to recognize that? The world today isn't how God created it because we are sinners who have forsaken God. But when we admit that, we understand there's a problem, a bigger problem than humanity can solve. We needed a Savior to come and die for us. Amen. And, and so anyway, the problem is fallen man. You probably got my point, okay? So we'll just move on. Because when I start getting on my soapboxes, somebody gets offended. We, we saw last week in verse 1 that God told Noah the time has come to enter the ark. And now we see there's only seven days left until he's going to bring the flood upon the earth. God gives Noah a week to finalize everything, get the animals situated on the ark before the flood arrives. In seven days... God's going to cause it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you know your Bible, then you're aware that the number 7 and the number 40 are significant throughout the Word of God. We, we see it show up a lot. Now, I'm not a big numerology guy. Some people are, you know, oh, that word had five letters, that means awesomeness. No, I, I, I don't know about all that. I'm, so I'm not a big numerology guy, but I think there's room for some of this in the Bible. And, and so I think there's probably um, some meanings here. But I don't like it because I think it can lead to forced ideas. Seven is, is said to be the number of perfection and or completion. God created for six days. He rested on the seventh day. Man is to work six days and rest one. The land was to have her rest every seven years. Psalm 12, 6 tells us that the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. 
Elisha told Naaman to uh, wash seven times in the Jordan to be cleansed of his leprosy. The walls of Jericho would fall down on the seventh day after marching the city around the city seven times on that day. In the Revelation, there are seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials. And there's a lot of other examples that we can give in the Scriptures of the number seven. But with this in mind, I believe we can make the connection here in verse 4 that the old world is reaching its conclusion in seven days the number of completion. It's all going to be over. The world is going to have her rest. In seven days, God is going to unleash His fury upon the wicked world. Only seven days for people to get right with God. Verse 10, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. But I want you to know something else. This also shows us the long-suffering of God. He gives them another seven days to uh, repent and get into the ark, anybody who would receive Christ. And so we also see the long-suffering of God here. He is gracious. Amen. He is compassionate. Amen. Some of you uh, would understand that we deserve to be in hell. But He's merciful. And so He gives you time to repent. Sadly, nobody takes advantage of God's grace. Here in chapter 7. Luke 17, 27, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You know what that passage is telling us is that nobody cared about the message. They just kept doing their own thing. Kept having people over even though the preacher said you're going to die and go to hell. Listen, we've had such a great church service already today that it, 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 it shocks me that there's people who really could care less to be here right now. Were y'all here for the same song service I was here for? And yes, some of you are going to sleep your way through church. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm only here because my wife drugged me. I'm only here because my parents drugged me. I'm, I'm only here because this is what I got to do. Man, you ought to be excited about this stuff. But as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. The message proclaimed, nobody cares. The message goes forth, I don't care. I'm I'm not even sure why I'm here today. From 2 Peter 3, we can deduce how the pre-flood world scoffed at the idea of God's coming judgment. Because what Peter does over there in 2 Peter 3 is he, he speaks of their ignorance then with how the world is now. How they're going to think about us in the last days, which we are clearly in. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7, it says this, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so when you read that passage, the scoffers and the mockers are going to keep increasing in the last days. There's some among us. The scoffers and the mockers, they'll just keep increasing. Uh, We're nearing the Lord's second coming, amen. And more and more people are going to question, where's the Lord? Can you, can you hear them in Noah's day? Where's the flood? 
You've been sounding this alarm for decades. Nothing's changed. We're still marrying and giving in marriage. We're still drinking. Uh, we're eat, drink, and be merry. And, and we can hear that today. Boy, you, you Christians have been saying the Lord's coming now for as long as y'all been preaching. Where's He at? Jesus said it's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. And so people are going to question Christ coming again to judge this world, a global judgment. But they're going to continue to live their lives in willful ignorance to God's Word. You know, I would imagine it was then as it is now where even the lost can recognize how bad it's getting. I don't know that we could have said that 60, 70 years ago. But now we live in a day where even the lost, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the lost who are out there, you know, killing people and all the rest. I'm talking about the lost who are just apathetic. Can even recognize today that, yeah, this world is falling apart. And I would imagine it, it, there would have been people like that in Noah's day as well. The lost can see what's going on, and yet they still refuse God as the answer. The lost can see that we're heading in a wrong direction, but they don't want to admit it's because we've departed from God as a nation. They can see the corruption and the violence on the rise, and yet they refuse to acknowledge God. And and as I thought about this, I wonder, is this what causes the lost world to say, where is the promise of His coming? Because that's what Peter said would happen. It's not believers that will save that. Amen. We believe He's coming again. But the lost are even going to say, Where, where's the promise of His coming? Y'all keep saying the Lord's going to come back one day and straighten all this out, but I don't see Him. If He's coming back and He's real, where is He? Maybe you've heard some of that as you witness to people. Surely a God of love would put an end to all this corruption. Boy, we hear that a lot. And of course, the day is coming when He will come back but the problem is those people can't understand the reason he delays his coming is because he is merciful to you to give you an opportunity to know him as your savior to be born again because he's a God of mercy and isn't that what Peter goes on to explain in the very next verse 2 Peter 3 9 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us word not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. To any of you that are lost today, you're outside of Christ, maybe you're mocking the message and the messenger, but I wish you understood that the same God who gives you the breath to scoff is the same God who loves you enough to die for you. The same God who gives you life to live it apathetically is the same God who continues to strive with you in hopes that you'll give your heart to Him before it's too late. God is so good. But as I keep highlighting, God will not always strive with you. You may think you have time, but you may not. In this chapter, they had seven more days until the ark was closed. But in an unbelieving world, they wouldn't have seen it that way. Once God shuts the door of the ark in verse 16, that's going to be it. And at that point, it'll be too late for those outside of the ark to enter in. The five foolish versions mentioned in Matthew 25 were not prepared when the Lord came. And when when the bridegroom came, the Bible says, uh, they that were ready went in unto the marriage and the door was shut. And then the Bible says in Matthew 25, 11 through 13, 
Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. After that seventh day, how many do you suppose were beating upon the ark? I'd say everybody within reach. As soon as that bad boy started to lift up, you better believe they wanted to get in there. Beating upon that ark, trying to get in, trying to open the door, but God had closed it and no man could open it. Those inside Christ will be safe. Those outside of Christ will suffer His wrath. When the Lord returns, that's it. The door's shut. The lost and the redeemed are likened to tares and wheat in Matthew chapter 13. The tares are the lost, the wheat are the saved. And it says in Matthew 13, 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the only two options. The only two options, either to be gathered to Christ or to be gathered to be burned. Matthew 13, verses 40 through 42. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing, gnashing of teeth. Stop playing games with God. Get in the ark. The ark of Christ while there's still time. I'll try to move faster. Here in verse 4, we see the next number, the number 40. It shows up three times in this chapter. Obviously here in verse 4, verse 12 says, And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Verse 17, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. Chapter 8, we'll see it again after the ark rests. Uh, for 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark, sent forth a raven and a dove to see if the waters were abated from off the earth. Moses was 40 years in the backside of the desert. He was 40 days and 40 nights on top of Mount Sinai twice. The children of Israel searched the land for 40 days, but they refused to take the land. And so God said, for each day you search the land, you're going to wander in the wilderness. So for 40 years, they were in the wilderness. In Judges 13, God delivered the children of Israel into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days. Elijah went 40 days and 40 nights without food unto Mount Horeb. Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days as a picture of bearing the iniquity of the house of Judah. Nineveh was given 40 days to repent at the preaching of Jonah. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted of the devil devil for 40 days after his baptism. After Jesus resurrected, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days. It is generally agreed that 40 represents a period of testing, trial, and humiliation, which we can see in this chapter. We have both the lost and the redeemed. The lost would definitely be humbled during that 40-day reign. They would die. That's about the maximum amount of humbling, okay? (laughs) All right. Um, And so they would definitely be humbled as a result but we also see that the redeemed would be tried as their faith in God's method was tested upon the ark. I focus primarily on the lost, on the number seven. I'm going to 
focused primarily on the redeemed on the number 40. For those of you that are in the ark of Christ today, I want you to understand, hear me well, your faith will be tested. It will be tested at some point. Don't fall for the lie from the prosperity preachers that once you're saved, no more problems are going to happen in your life. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Because that's a popular message today. That once you're in Christ, there'll be no more storms of life. Everything's just going to be smooth sailing. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. No, it's coming. Amen, it's coming. You're going to be tried. You need to understand that the same things that happened to the lost will still happen to the redeemed. I couldn't believe it when Pilot uh, Knopp was saying in his video, I mean, it goes right with the message. He said this, I was on the street. I was scraping by. I got saved. I still had the same problems. That fits perfect with where I'm going right now. Listen, just because you're in Christ does not mean everything just magically gets better. And that all the problems of life go away. I want to tell you, listen, our bodies and our minds are still going to break down. There's going to be diagnosis you get on the phone that you don't want to hear. There's going to be treatments you don't want to go through. There'll be times of financial hardships. There'll be death in your family. There'll be difficult situations. There'll be unplanned events that shake up your world and all the rest. In short, what I'm trying to tell you is those of us in Christ still go through the storms of life. Now I realize the flood was God's wrath. And as God's children, we're not appointed unto God's wrath. But by way of application, I want to use this text this morning to just tell you that both the lost and the saved will go through the same storm. I invite you, you don't have to, but I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Very familiar passage on this thought about us going through the same storms. I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. The Bible says in Matthew 7 and verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended. The floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We find here the saved called the wise, the lost who are called the foolish. And we find that they both went through the exact same storm. The rains descended, the floods floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house. The storms will come. And I'm tired of seeing people fall by the wayside when their storm comes. It'll come from all sides. It'll come from above. It'll come from below. And it'll come at you from the side. Don't think it's strange that you're going through the same trials and storms as those outside of Christ. But that's what I hear. I don't understand why I'm going through the same problems as they're going through. 
You see, the difference isn't the storms. The difference is how you weather the storm. How you come through the storm. You say, well, what makes the difference? Jesus says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. The wise will obey God's word and will build their house upon a rock, which is clearly an illustration of Christ. While those who are foolish will reject the Word of God and they'll build their house upon the sand. The house upon the rock is going to stand. The house upon the sand will fall. And so here's Noah. We see the world. We see Noah. Noah heard the Word of God. He obeyed it. The world around him rejected the Word of God and they disobeyed it. And look at the two outcomes. It's so clear. You know, it's still clear today. You can look at the difference between the lost and the saved. And and so the storm was the same for both. But Noah and his house came through the storm by obeying God, trusting Him as the storm raged. But the lost experienced a great fall in their house, and it was the same storm. And as the rains fell and the great fountains of the deep broke up, shot forth the waters, causing water to beat upon the ark, Noah, listen, at that time, had to trust the provisions of God. Listen, he was a man of like passions like you and I, and I have no doubt, okay, I shouldn't say maybe that dogmatically, I would imagine at some point, as all of this is breaking forth, boy, I hope this thing works. I hope I sealed it good on the outside and the inside. I hope the Lord knew what He was doing when He closed the door. I hope this thing floats. It's a goofy looking thing. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, when the storm comes, you have those thoughts. And so here's Noah. He's in the ark. And now as the water begins to beat upon it, he has to trust in God's provision. Where did he get the provision from? He got it from God's Word. God said, I want you to make it this long, this wide, this high, three levels, one door. God gave him all the provisions. Now he has to trust that. But listen to me. Get this. When did he get that Word? As the storm is unleashing or before the storm? He got it beforehand, duh. He got it beforehand. God told him in chapter 6 and verse 18, but with thee, will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And there's more I could read from chapter 6. But I just want to give you an idea. God had given him this promise. And so you see, the storms are going to come. But what's going to make the difference is faith and obedience in God's Word beforehand. Because as we'll see at the beginning of chapter 8, it's almost as if God goes silent. You can read verse 1 if you want real quick. It's almost as if God is no longer speaking to Noah. And that's what happens when we go through these storms. Sometimes it feels like God isn't there. I'll have to preach that more next time, but I'm just saying, it's like God goes quiet. But it was what was prepared before the storm that would make the difference in the trying of their faith through the storm. You've heard it said before, but when the storm arrives, 
that's not the time to go frantically searching through the Bible in hopes of finding the verse that's going to get you through. By all means, do that if you've wasted your years. But you ought to be preparing ahead of time. Amen. You ought to be getting something beforehand. Arm yourself with the promises of God. Because it may seem like God isn't there at times. You better prepare and gather in while the gathering's good. There's a lot more I want to cover, but we're, we're pushing your, your normal level of acceptance. Are you prepared for the storms this morning? You say, I don't understand what God's doing in my life. I'll tell you what He's doing. He's preparing you for that next storm. He takes you through a little storm, builds your faith, takes you through a bigger storm, builds your faith, bigger storm, bigger storm. I'm just telling you how it is. Say, what is He doing? He's conforming you to Christ because He's preparing you for the day you arrive in heaven. Are you ready? I'll remind you of Hebrews 11:7 once more this week. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. Some of you are not preparing for the day when your storm arrives. And it's going to take you by such surprise that you'll start shaking your fist at God and saying, I didn't think this is how it was supposed to be. I thought you were going to get me through all of this without having any problems. The same storms come to both the lost and the redeemed. But what gets you through is building your house upon the rock of Christ. And and, and hear me well. This is what the lost world looks at and goes, ah, now I see Christ in you. Not when everything's going great, but when you go through the same storm they went through and they can see you have peace, joy. Isn't that what the missionary said? All of a sudden, my circumstance didn't change, but I had peace, I had joy in the Holy Ghost. And the lost will look at that and say, why aren't you getting bitter? They may not put it in those words, but you understand what I'm saying. So build your house upon the rock. Follow God's Word. Follow His plan. And if there's anyone here today, you're still outside the ark of Christ, you're not saved, you need to get saved. Your last day upon this earth is arriving at some point. Why don't you enter in today before it's too late? Amen? Let's pray.